Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, good morning. I am on the shores of Lake Bemidji in Minnesota. Karen and I are on a trip. Uh, We'll be here for, what, about a week and a half yet, Karen? About another week and a half. After the show today, we are headed out to Black Duck Lake in Minnesota, where my longtime fishing partner, Greg Claggio, will join us, and we'll do some walleye, pike, and bass fishing. But we got a lot of Colorado fishing to talk about today. We are going to talk fly fishing. We're going to talk conventional fishing. There's a lot going on. Of course, the weather is affecting things both positively and negatively. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that. And speaking of the weather, we're going to Front Range of Colorado is going to get some cooler temps, which may help a little bit. Actually, we wouldn't hurt to cool things down a little bit. And we're going to talk a little more technique later on in today's show, too. Not just where the bite is, but how to do it, how to approach it, what kind of gear and how you go after it. So we're also going to talk a little shooting and some boating safety. So we got a lot to cover. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Colorado Angler is Andrew Peterson. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, Terry. Good morning. How are you there in Minnesota? I'm doing great. Uh, this is my old stomping grounds, Andrew. I used to I used to say I grew up in northern Minnesota, but my wife and producer Karen reminds me I didn't grow up. I just got older. But <laughs> well, uh, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with going through life with an assessment on one's uh, growth that way. Yeah, I don't either. Hey, Andrew, before we get into what's going on in the fly fishing world. Why don't you tell people where the Colorado Angler is located so they get a perspective of where you guys come from? Yeah, so we're in Silverthorne, right in the center of Summit County, in the center of the Central Mountains, as a matter of fact. Uh, When you come up, uh, when you head uh, west out of town and you get off at exit 205 here, just west of the tunnel, we're just on the south side of the interstate. So you turn left and come under, we're kind of right next to Blue Moon Bakery and Sunshine Cafe. A lot of people like to stop there on their way. So we're we're kind of right there, just with, you know. And, and of course, you're a full-service fly shop. You do guide service. You even do a guide school. We'll get more into the shop in a minute. Let's talk fishing. You heard me talking the weather. It's been uh, on the west side of the mountains. There hasn't been a lot of snow this year like we did on the Front Range. We just got through with some really high temperatures. I know on the front range, we're going to get a few days of cooler temperatures and maybe some rain. What does the weather look like first coming up there in the next few days? You know, I, well, you were talking positive and negative, but I think it's all positive. I mean, we, we had rain Thursday night and last night. In fact, I woke up this morning, uh, 5.30, it was raining at my house, and it, it was a steady rain until about 20 minutes ago. So we had some good rain here in the county overnight. Um we're supposed to see that this afternoon again and, and Sunday, so I think really positive for helping to keep water temperatures that were rising, particularly on the Colorado. Um, the, it, it should go a long way to, to make that a situation recover. I hope so, yeah. we You guys need it there. Why don't you take us through kind of what conditions have been in the area and maybe what this weather will look forward to and where you think it's headed? Yeah, so uh, we, you know, we haven't been doing any any fishing on the Colorado. Just the water temps were, hell, even Monday this week they got up to seventy two degrees. Um, we had one of our guys, his uh, 
we took a family float up there, had some, some family in from out of town, so we just floated the canyon up there, and he's starting to see a few floating fish. So we, we haven't done a trip up there in a couple of weeks just trying to give those fish a break. Um, but that's really the only blemish because everything else that we fish is really looking good. Uh, we've had great action on the eagle the last several weeks. Right now the pale morning duns are pouring off that river. Um, yellow sallies, caddis. Uh, really fishing well. Um, the Arkansas is at a great level, um, and gonna, they're, they're going to keep water in the Arkansas at least through July into early August. So that, I think, is going to be a bright spot, uh, unless we keep this rain going. I mean, the, the rain is really helpful. So, uh, And we've been doing um, some really great floats on the, the Roaring Fork lately. The green drakes are happening. There's yellow sallies, PMDs, caddis. So really... With one exception, uh, you know, they're on the Colorado. I think you couldn't go wrong getting out for a day on the water right now. With the lower flows, has it been a little more technical? Has it been more dry fly? How have you been approaching, or has it been really dependent on the hatch in each river? Yeah, it's been dependent on the hatch. I mean, you know, those, those three that we were talking about there, they've all had great um, kind of midsummer flows. I think. I think runoff kind of, you know, it was a little late to start, but because it got so hot and snowpack was a little bit lower, it, it kind of ran its course a little bit ahead of time. So um, typically those rivers probably fall into shape the last week of June, but they, they kind of fell into shape about a week earlier than that. So um, we've had great flows on all of them. Um, we've seen good dry fly fishing for guys that are committed to it. Um, I've, I've had some clients out myself the last two weeks that they roll up in the morning like we don't want to throw a dropper we just want to throw dries um so we'll start out in the morning and have to, you know turn some fish but then as the hatches kick off kind of late morning early afternoon then the fish are on naturals on the surface we're not just having to pound them up so um now the other thing is the blue has been pretty low uh they're trying to fill dylan dylan's pretty close to full um I'd say it's 95% or so. Um, they bumped a little bit of extra water out of it last week, so it's running right at 100 here. Um, we actually had some guides on a ranch um, this week for an event, and on the property there, just north of town, they were seeing caddis and actually, dare I say, a few green drakes. Um, we haven't had the, the best green drakes on the, you know, on this stretch of the blue in some years, but. The hatch is still really solid below Green Mountain once it gets wrapped up. But, uh, but you know, the two tailwaters are still a little bit low, but they're they're fishing well. But, yeah, like you mentioned, they're a little more technical than had the reservoirs spilled over and boosted flows up a couple hundred. You know, I want to get back to something you brought up earlier, and that's that Green Drake hatch on the Roaring Fork. Yeah. I fished that a few. I fished that a few times, and <clears throat> I know when you and I talked earlier, I was joking that I love that hatch because those those flies are so big that my old eyes can see them on the water, so it makes yeah. it easier for me to fish. But that's an impressive hatch to fish. It really is. It's it's one of my favorites. Obviously, here we get we get really excited about the salmon flies early in the season, and then there's great early caddis hatches, but. You know, I guess for me, you know, the thing about, like you said, throwing that big size 12 or even 10 um, dry fly is it's a hatch that everybody can enjoy, not just the kids, you know, the 20-somethings. You know, us guys that are on the north side of 50, um, you know, we, 
we uh, we can enjoy throwing a big dry like that. But really, it's indicative of if the green drakes are coming off, that means every other bug in the river's hatching. So um, right now, you you can launch there early morning, you know, nine o'clock, nine thirty, and start to see bugs pretty early. Fish them throughout the day, and then those drakes they kind of blow up again that last hour of daylight. And um, I always take a headlamp with me just so I can tie another fly on if I lose one, right, you know, in that last mile or so of river before the takeout. Are you, uh, in addition to you doing a lot of floats, is there some pretty good walk wade fishing too up there? You know, on the, on the Roaring Fork, there's some decent walk wade. Um, you know, a lot of the town of Glenwood is actually, there's a lot of public access in there. And um, and so there there's some great bank fishing to do, um, you know, just through town. And, and every evening that I float through there, you know, it's not uncommon to see a dozen or 15 wading anglers over a couple miles just through town there. Uh, as you get up toward uh, Carbondale, there's a couple of fishing leases there um, that, that are productive as well, right through Carbondale. Um, so it takes a little bit more, you know, poking around to find it. It's you know, not as, you know, you know, kind of blatant as some areas that you roll up to, but uh, there is some, some decent wade fishing to be had there. Um, and what about- then, you know, we've been doing a lot of wading on the upper Arkansas, uh, particularly above Ball Town, which is where Twin Lakes um, and Lake Creek dumps in. Um, there's a fair bit of water coming out of Twin right now, but the stuff in the, you know, the Hayden Meadows, Kobe, Ready Lease, all that stuff up there is, it's, Still, I would say robust, but, I mean, there's easy wading to do up there. And, hell, there's like seven miles of public water to spread out on. We're seeing really good caddis, some yellow sallies. Um, and there's a there's kind of a there's a, a little bit of a, a drake presence up there. It's not as consistent as on the Roaring Fork or the Lower Blue, but, uh, but you can find them in spots up there. It's not as widespread, I'll say. Now, I was fishing a pond a week or two ago and walking through some grass. I was already seeing an abundance of hoppers. Are yeah. you seeing the tradest- Are you seeing that up there? Are you looking at the hopper dropper type thing taking off? Yeah, you know the the hoppers with the dry with the dry conditions. You know we're seeing a lot of juvenile hoppers that are starting to you know reach decent populations and and get to good size. Um, in particular, the Arkansas is always good for early hoppers. It seems to be a little bit more arid as you get down towards Salida and that. Um, but we've been throwing, we've been throwing larger, you know, some hopper stuff, if you, you know, but larger attractor stuff. I mean, if you want to call it, you know, chubby Chernobyls, we throw a lot of those. They're they're great for, you know, kind of covering your golden stone flies that might be happening on some rivers as well as your your you know your bankside terrestrials. So. Um, that's always a great pattern to start with with a dry dropper setup. Yeah, it's uh, and are you getting a pretty good mix of browns and rainbows in the rivers around there, or do you focus on one more than the other? No, you know that's that's um, particularly the eagle and the roaring fork. I think they're a real good mix. I mean, I think technically they probably still have a higher brown trout population, but you know browns are a little bit warier, so you catch a, a higher percentage of the rainbow population than the brown population. So it kind of evens out with our catch rates there. Arkansas is still going to be, you know, re, you know, they're making a pretty good, a pretty good recovery of rainbows in that river, but, um, but it's still primarily a brown trout fishery. So you'll see a greater, a greater preponderance of those up there. 
So, Andrew, let's take a minute. Tell people about your operation. Where uh, We told them where you're located. What do you offer at the Colorado Angler? You know, we're, we're a full-service fly uh, shop, brick and mortar. We carry, you know, rods, reels, um, wading gear, you know, vests and packs, a lot of fish pond stuff with them being a Silverthorne founded company. They're based out of Denver, but the founder lives right here up the road from us. So, um, you know, and Polaris glasses and then the terminal tackle stuff that you need, like tippet leader. We've got uh, pushing about 1,700 different fly bins here from, you know, tailwater tinies down to 26 up to articulated streamers and um, carry a fair bit of saltwater flies as well. We get a lot of destination anglers that get out of here in the winter and and so um, we can do everything for getting out for pike, trout, tiger muskie, and Clear Creek Reservoir to, to saltwater destination stuff. And your guide services, tell us about that. Yeah, we, we run a full guide service. Um, we do wades and floats, both full and half day. Um, I would say with Colorado's wading law, we see a much greater demand for our float uh, our float services just because even guys that, that live local that do a tremendous amount of wading on their own, they'll, they may not want to make the investment in a boat. So we'll, we'll see some guys that we fish with, uh, you know, one to five days a year that live here in town that, you know, they're like, hey, I can't. I can't float that or wade that private property. Why, why not float it through with you? So, um, and we'll float the Colorado when it's in good shape, the Arkansas, the Eagle, the Roaring Fork, wade fish, all of those, as well as some here on the Blue, and dabble a little bit over and uh, on the feeder streams in, in uh, Middle Park or South Park as well. And how far ahead you usually are you booked if somebody wanted to get a trip? You know, this time of year we fill up pretty fast um, with our with our regular clientele. Like just looking at July, we we've, we've got a few days that are already sold out. And then as um, you know, with the with the vacation traffic, we get a lot of you know a lot of turnover comes on the weekends. So people tend to get in on Sunday and on Monday they they start uh, booking up what we have left for the week. So. I'd say if you got a day in mind, even if it's a couple weeks out, you might, you know, just give a call a couple weeks ahead um, to make sure we can get you on the calendar. And how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way to find you? Billing reaches, um, then call us here at the shop is great. We love talking to people to kind of feel, figure out what they're wanting. Uh, that's 970-513-8055. Or they can check out uh, check out the website. The It's the Colorado Angler. Dot com and um, they can give us you know check us out there shoot us an email and um, we can you know answer any questions they need yeah well it sounds like things are going pretty well up there I think the closing message here would probably be people to kind of check ahead wherever they're going get a hold of a shop like yours in the area if they're going to fish and bring a thermometer with them if the water gets too warm just you know, give the fish a break but otherwise sounds like there's a lot of great activity coming up Andrew yeah, like I, I'm really, uh, I, I think we're really in the, the, the heart of the, the best fishing of the year right now is going on. All the summer hatches on, on pretty much every river, you can't really go wrong. So if you got questions about a destination, don't hesitate to give us a call and we'll give you an honest, uh, an honest feedback on it. All right, my friend, thanks for joining us. We've got to move on, but great information. All right. Hey, Terry, have a good time out there, and uh, watch out for the uh, Minnesota State bird there because it's, uh, it's – Yeah, the, the mosquitoes here 
the big ones try to decide whether to carry you away or eat you there before the little ones get you. So yeah. <laughs> thanks. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Good fishing All right. out. Andrew, you bet. Uh, Andrew Peterson, the Colorado angler. Great people. Um, I know a number of people have used them. They just speak highly of them. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Jim Hawkins from Parks and Wildlife is going to join us, and we're going to talk boating safety on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, a 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the Front Range on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jim Hawkins. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. I'm up in northern Minnesota, but I looked at the weather, and uh, we're going to get a little break from that heat down in Colorado for a few days, but then it's going to warm right back up. It's going to get in the 80s and 90s again. We're getting into July, and holidays coming, and people are going to be hitting the water, and I know that you're concerned. You want people to get out. You want them to have fun, but you're concerned about boating safety. And there's a particular initiative that comes up this time nationally every year. But before we even get to that, let's kind of set the stage. Last year was a a tough year in boating safety. Are we doing a little better this year? We are. Um, I think we've seen a huge increase of people actually wearing their uh, life jackets this year and following the rules and regulations. Uh, We currently have seven fatalities uh, related to boating this year um, compared to what we had last year. Yeah, and last year was a tough year. I talked to you earlier, and if my understanding is correct, a huge percentage of those fatalities are related to paddlecraft. Is that right? It is. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, we have uh, high winds that usually come up in the afternoons, and these small paddlecrafts, you know, are caught in these winds or in the middle of the lake or reservoir and get tipped over, uh, you know, specifically in Colorado, a lot of our waters don't get that warm. Um, you know, they can still be 70 degrees and that's still enough to get hypothermia. Well, it really is. And you can fall off of a pad. I, I've dumped myself out of a kayak. Fortunately, I was wearing my inflatable suspenders. Um, in fact, that's the only time I've all these years of fishing that I've ever been in the water. And I'll tell you, I was glad I had that on. I think we've got a lot of new recreators, I guess is the right word, too, that are getting out because they can get into a paddle craft less expensive than buying a big boat. And there's, there's, you know, it's easier to get on and off the water. There's more places they can use them. So we're seeing a lot of people gravitate to that. But sometimes I think they don't understand exactly what you said, the, the implications of what can happen or even know the rules. What are the rules on a paddle craft for a personal flotation device? So specifically for a paddle graft, you touched on it right away. The most important thing is making sure that you have a personal flotation device, also called a life jacket, on board. Uh, We actually really prefer that you actually wear the life jacket. Uh, Accidents happen so quickly, especially in paddle craft, that you can overturn, um, and you can get disoriented really quickly, uh, especially in cold water. And, you know, winds pick up um, and winds can actually blow your craft or your paddleboard away from you uh, very quickly. So having that life jacket on board or actually on you is going to really save your life. Uh, Besides having that life jacket, making sure that you have a sound producing device 
and uh, making sure that your name and telephone number and address are written on the paddleboard or canoe or kayak. So if it does get blown away, uh, at least we have a point to contact you or leave a message uh, before we start bringing out the search crews looking for you. Yeah, it's um, and what you said, they can, if you fall off a kayak or a paddleboard, just the momentum tends to push them away from you. And very few people are tethered to them. And I don't, I've never gotten back on a paddleboard, so I can't speak to that. But I can tell you that when you get off of a kayak in deep water, getting back in is something you have to practice. You don't just go back and pop yourself into that kayak. It, it's very difficult. And what you said with the water being cold, uh, people don't realize how quickly they can get in trouble. Yep, and it happens very quickly. We, you know, you kind of have a minute to get your breathing contr- uh, under control, especially in severe cold water, and then you have about 10 minutes uh, to start getting back onto your uh, craft or holding onto it, and then an hour uh, if you're in, like, high alpine lakes or something before uh, severe hypothermia starts kicking in. You know, I'm going to ask you to real quickly, what do you have to have on on bigger boats? And then I want to get to this initiative that's coming up. So if I've got my boat, like I have a 19-foot with a a big outboard motor on it, what do I have to have on board my boat safety-wise? Yeah, it's it's really important to understand what class of vessel you have uh, in the state. Uh, They're broken down by lengths. But typically people, the average boater, fall in between the 16 and 26 uh, foot boat, so I'll focus on what's required in that length range. Uh, first of all, make sure that your vessel is registered. Um, the second thing that we always want, and it actually should be number one, is just make sure that you have life jackets on board for everyone, uh, that they're proper fitting, they're U.S. Coast Guard approved, and they're in serviceable condition. So, you know, they're not sun-worn, uh, the buckles clip, they're not broken. Um, and the other thing, too, is uh, children uh, 12 and younger need to be wearing their life jackets at all times. Uh, that's something that we take really seriously and uh, we'll issue a citation for if they're not in their life jackets. Uh, a type 4 throwable uh, for any vessel that's longer than 16 feet. Uh, sound-producing device like a horn or whistle. Uh, fire extinguisher. And then uh, just make sure that your ventilation system is working. And one of the other things, too, that's been really helpful is just do a float plan. Uh, and what that is is just let somebody know where you're going uh, and when you're expected to be back. Um, if something happens or your boat breaks down or something like that, at least we have a general idea of where to start looking for you and get resources to you and make sure that we can give you a tow or help you if something comes up. All right, let's get to this initiative. Every year, um, Operation Dry Waters is a national initiative that Colorado really participates in and a, and a very uh, really takes it to heart. And uh, I think a lot of people, we've got a lot of new boaters, a lot of people that have joined the boating community, and I'm not sure they understand the laws about consuming alcohol and driving a boat compared to driving a car. Why don't you kind of fill us in on that and Operation Dry Water? Yeah, Operation Dry Water, obviously, we have Fourth of July weekend just right around the corner. Um, Obviously, with Fourth of July, we see a lot of alcohol and marijuana consumption. Um, And we just want to make sure that the public is aware that we want you to come out and have a great time. Uh, But don't drink and drive or smoke and drive a boat or get in your vehicle and drive. Um, Alcohol is still the leading number uh, one cause in boat accidents in Colorado and nationally. Um, And then alcohol, just in general, um, can impair your judgment, your balance, vision, and reaction time, especially in a boat. Um, 
on top of that, you have the, the sun, wind, noise, vibrations, and motion uh, that even adds more stressors to you when you're traving, trying to drive a boat. So uh, in Colorado, uh, we still have BUI is boating under the influence, and it's still 0.08, just like uh, you would be driving a vehicle. And so uh, you, because during Operation Dry Water, there'll be heightened patrols, but they, people should be aware and use common sense all the time. You made a great point that alcohol can affect you a lot more at a much elevated level in the water, and a lot of people aren't nearly as experienced in the water, and there's so many more variables than there are even just driving a car, and you shouldn't drive a car either. And you made a good point to me earlier in the week when you said, have a designated driver, not only to drive the boat, but to drive you home. Yeah, exactly. We're actually partnering uh, with Carter State Patrol with their Heat on Heat is on campaign uh, this year. Um, the, the truth is, if we're not catching these people on the waterways, uh, they're actually trailering their boat and they're driving their truck and trailer uh, through the campgrounds where we have a whole bunch of kids that are playing or they get on their uh, on the highway and heading back home. Uh, so that's even just more dangerous than a vehicle and a trailer. So we are really focusing on that like we do every year. Uh, we just really want people to do it smartly and make sure that you have a designated driver. And I guess the last message is don't be, a, don't be surprised if you're out on a reservoir and a ranger boat comes over to check you because they're going to be looking for this. They want everybody out there. They want them to have fun, but they want them to do it safely. Any last comments, Jim? No, we just want people to have a great time. Enjoy your 4th of July weekend, and uh, please wear your life jacket. All right, and make sure you know that it's illegal to drive a boat under the influence just as, as it is a car. Thanks, Jim. As always, good refresher information for people getting out. Thank you. Take care. You bet. Jim Hawkins from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Great guy. Just, um, you know, th they're really going to kick in and enforce this this time, folks. A lot of you are new boaters. So, you know, first of all, use common sense. I mean, you shouldn't drive or operate any kind of a motor vehicle when you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs. But just, you know, I, you hear it about cars all the time, but it applies to boats, too. So have a safe weekend. Really enjoy it. But make sure somebody stays in control and, and is able to drive. Have a designated driver. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. 65 years of serving the outdoor public with locations up and down the front range of Colorado. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Highline Lake is Alan Martinez. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How's the weather over there? It's, I under, I'm in Minnesota, actually, but I understand the front range is getting a little cooler and rainy weather. Are you guys... Staying hot and warm over on the West Slope? Actually, we're only in the upper 80s, which for the past two weeks we were over 100. So very, very welcome relief to the cooling. <laughs> it is. Now, Highline Lake's kind of an unusual lake. People think they head to the mountains and they think about the high mountain lakes. And you're actually a warm water lake. Tell people where Highline is located. Yeah, so Highline is actually about... 15 miles west of Grand Junction, so we're about 12 miles from Utah. So it's actually high desert, and we do see plenty of days that are in the hundreds out here. So, uh, you know, it's a desert desert reservoir instead of a mountain reservoir you'd expect in Colorado. 
Now, what about water levels? A lot of the western slope lakes are struggling with their water levels uh, this this year. Uh, Highline, I believe that's not an issue, though. Is that right? That is correct. So um, Highline's very unusual. Uh, they have We have a pretty good canal system in Mesa County, and all the excess water ends up in Highline. So we basically spill from the 1st of April through the end of October. And so as other lakes are fluctuating and dropping, um, we actually stay pretty pretty consistent. Um, we might drop a foot if they're, they're pulling water from the canals, but um, no more than that. And and because of that, with things the way they're going, you might be one of the more boatable lakes over in the West Slope when we get to the end of summer. So uh, people might want to be aware that it could get busy there. What about camping? You offer camping. Is it is it booked out way out quite a bit? Yeah, so our, our campground is full every weekend. Uh, so if you're looking to come out here on the weekend, um, you're needing to make your reservations um, four to six months. And on our real busy weekends, Actually, within a day or two after they go online, six months out, we're full. So, it is a very popular campground. Um, it's it's not not a large campground, which is part of the reason that we fill so quickly. But we've got 36 campsites, and when you're out in the desert, our campground is you know lush grass with large shade trees. So, it's about 20 degrees cooler in the campground than it is out in the sun. Yeah, but it's, you know, and it's a warm water lake. You know, the unique thing about Highline, of course, you offer all types of boating. You have camping, and people obviously need to plan ahead with the number of people that are using the facilities this year. But you offer some really unique fishing opportunities, especially for Colorado. And one of those is your great bass fishing, isn't it? It is. We have a a tremendous largemouth bass fishery here. And this year, um, I don't know what's what's going on with it this year but guys have been hammering the bass and the bass here if you're catching 14 15 inch bass they're running almost two two and a half pounds they are all footballs there there's not a skinny bass in this lake so um, we've got a real good food base and we're starting to see our crappie as well that are producing you know they were stunted for a number of years and we're finally starting to see some 10 inch crappie as well so it has you know it's it is a very good fishery um, as far as warm water goes. And then we also have a lot of guys that come out here and chase channel cats. And we got catfish up to that 20-pound range that we see come out of here. So um, it's an amazing warm water fishery for Colorado. And when you talked about the bass, uh, two- to three-pound bass, you're saying people are just catching numbers of them. But in order to maintain that, because Highline isn't a huge lake, you're really hoping that people will treat those bass almost like catch and release, aren't you? We we do. I, there is a restriction of two bass 15 inches or longer, but even with that, if everybody was taking their two bass, it, we would knock the fishery down in a, in a real big hurry. And so the majority of our fishermen that are coming out here chasing bass are returning them all back to the water. Um, the guys that are wanting to take fish are usually taking crappie which are an amazing fish to be eaten anyway. And so, um, so we're hoping that our fishermen, if they're going to they're gonna take fish, you know, take, take the crappie and leave the bass for another fisherman to catch because it, it has been a really good year, though. Has there been any particular techniques for the bass that have, uh, that have seemed to be more effective or is this day-to-day? Yeah, um, a lot of guys have been um, using a lot of crawdad 
um, type plastics. Um, and then the other ones that are working really well are, you know, um, shad color stuff. You know, so it's imitating the, the you know, basically the, the food base that's here. So they are um, chasing both of those really well. And, you know, we get other guys, you know, we had, we had a school group out here and we were just using, you know, two inch little crappie jigs and they were turning bass as well. So, uh, you know, the dam, the dam face is working really well right now. That's awesome. I understand too, that you do get stocked with trout quite a bit and those trout have learned how to adapt to that warmer lake, haven't they? They have, um, for a number of years, um, we we were they, they were struggling to stay alive through the summer and now um, these fish are we have where the inlet comes in off that canal the canal is coming straight off the Colorado River so water is much cooler than what's in the lake and so you know I talk to families especially if you got young kids that are trying to catch fish if you go into that inlet uh, you're guaranteed to catch fish in a you know, real big hurry um, so. <clears throat> they're they're just stacked up into that that area of the lake and um it's really really good fishing so great opportunities especially for beginners to catch some fish well, it sounds like there's just good fishing opportunities for everybody there of all levels and all types of fishing and a great place to go and uh just make sure you plan ahead check ahead best way to check with you guys is the reservation system i imagine is to go online Yes, yeah, so that, um, you know, the online piece is much easier to do uh, with, on that cpwshop.com um, website. And I know people are calling the toll-free number, sit on, on hold for a pretty extended period of time. So uh, if you're looking to make reservations, definitely do it online. It'll be faster and easier for you. And if you're out in the area, make it a day trip. There's lots of great shore fishing or bring your boat. There's lots of activities. It's just a nice little gem out in the far western part of the state and offers some great warm water fishing. Alan, thanks for joining us and sharing. All right. Thanks for having me, and um, hopefully we'll see some additional people coming out. All right, Alan. Thanks, as always, for joining us today. Alan Martinez from Highline Lake. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to talk about Not only some of the bites are going on, but fishing trout and bass from shore and some walleye fishing and some topwater techniques. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us is from Discount Fishing Tackle, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Uh, No problem. You always bring a lot of great information. I know we want to talk some technique, but before we even get to that, what are you hearing kind of around about the local bites and maybe even some of the mountain stuff? Yeah, so this time of year, as we've all mentioned, is the time of year to get out after warm water species. We've had some fantastic bites out on places like Cherry Creek Reservoir. I mean, we've been in that neighborhood of the 50 to 100 fish days right now, and, and you can catch them pretty much however you want. They're up on top of structure in varying degrees of depth sometimes uh, depending upon the day we're finding fish moving up pretty shallow and uh, that four to six foot range but a lot of the fish are in that 10 to 16 foot area uh, you can catch them on anything from lindy rigs and leeches leeches and jigs jigging wraps blade baits plastics you name it the bite is very very productive out there right now 
Chatfield's a little bit different with the higher water levels. Uh, the fish have been a little bit spread out. Some fish have been up on top of structure, but other fish have been up shallow in the tree type areas. Uh, the bass fishing has been very good out there and, and more consistent as far as on the dam face. Uh, without really hunting around a lot, the, the walleyes have been more challenging than at places like Cherry Creek. Even shifting down to places like Pueblo still have been very, very productive. And mountain fishing uh, has been good, uh, particularly in places like Spinney Mountain Reservoir, as well as Front Range Rivers as we're starting to little, uh, get some of the, the runoff to dissipate a little bit. Yeah, there's just a kind of a choice of what you want to do for fish. And uh, a lot of people are out uh, fishing for bass, for walleyes, for trout up in the mountains. Typically around this time of the year, we see the shore fishing for trout at the lower elevations kind of slow down a little bit. Is that what you Definitely. see happening? Absolutely. Um, I mean, what the about- water temps that we've been seeing have been upwards of the 80-degree mark as we were uh, dealing with last week. We're starting to cool down a little bit, but that's really challenging uh, when you're dealing with trout up in the shallows. Yeah, so there still should be really great trout fishing, but you probably have to head up the hills a little bit if you're going to fish from shore. What about Aurora Reservoir? That stays a little colder. It does, and and there's been some reports of some trout fishing still up on the the, the shoreline edges. Uh, quite a few people have been catching walleyes, and then some decent uh, bass out there. A lot of the bass are done with their spawn now uh, and are moving into some of their post-spawn areas. But the the bite out there is a little bit different. That lake is so clear and deeper that a lot of times, instead of at places like Chili Creek where we're finding fish up as shallow as six feet of water, many times you're finding fish out deeper than 20 feet of water at Aurora. So long casts and or getting out off those points for some of those walleyes have been good. And then that lake, once again, is very clear. So I like uh, more visual type techniques out there, particularly some of the jigging wraps or even, you know, they'll, they'll hunt a plastic for quite a ways. But some of the blade baits a lot of times this time of year might not be quite as effective as some of those others. Let's switch gears here a little bit. We want to talk about some more shore fishing. And right now, um, if you're going to fish on the front range from shore, panfish and bass are what you should go after. And this can be a great time to chase bass up and down the ponds and even the lakes up and down the front range. I know you love top water this time of the year. How do you approach those situations? Yeah, so that's something that I really like fishing a lot with that top water. It allows you to get your baits up off the bottom, obviously, and away from the weeds, and you can really get some good fish uh, early and late. And I'll definitely emphasize that. These next techniques we're talking about is all about the low light periods. During the middle of the day, unless it's very cloudy on a rare occasion, uh, it's going to be all early and late. And both smallmouth and largemouth love topwater lures. And so first off is all about the selection of the particular lure. And there's multiple different types that I like. Uh, Basic popper or like a Rebel Pop R is what they call it uh, from from Rebel brand, but Berkeley has some great bullet pops. They all work very well. A lot of times in a shad-based lake, I'm going to go a little bit more of the whites and the silvers. Uh, in some of these uh, smaller ponds, I'll go a little more froggy looking and or glow some like a bone type color. But the poppers are really good. Uh, those particular baits, casting into the shallows and working it on a little bit of a slack line pop, kind of like a jerk bait but much softer. The whole key to the situation, in my opinion, is getting that bait to throw a bubble of water rather than spitting water. I always do better with that, my rod tip down for that. And I find that the strikes are much more violent and uh, definitely you get more of them when you get that bubble of that water on that popper. Now, poppers are great, especially because you, don't ha- you can cover water with them, 
but you don't necessarily need to move them a long way. So if you have a small opening and a bunch of weeds or a small pond area, you can fish it almost in place by popping it. Now, you mentioned keeping the rod tip down to get a bubble rather than a spit. Another thing that will affect the action of that popper is if you're fishing with a leader or the type of line, I usually throw... Uh, and I usually throw a uh, braided line so I can get long casts for that. And you don't need a leader for that. But if you want to bring that nose down, if you put a fluorocarbon leader on it, it will change the action. Definitely. That works quite well. I like that a lot. And then mentioning leader there. Also, if you're changing your style of bait to like a walking bait, like a little Zara puppy or, or a, uh, like a jaywalker from Berkeley, a lot of times I will throw a leader, but I'm going to adjust myself to a lot of times a monofilament leader. And I like something that's going to be stiff. If you go straight to braid and you're trying to walk that bait, there's certain times with that double treble hook setup that you'll foul that bait on the cast or even during the presentation. So stiffening yourself up with a, a monofilament leader that keeps it floating so you can walk it a little bit easier a lot of times can be very effective in certain circumstances. That's a great tip that for that type of a bait, you really want that leader to be monofilament because you don't want to drag the nose of that walking bait down. Now, the other thing with the walking baits is it's, you're going to have to, they're great for covering water because you tend to keep them moving. You don't fish them as much in place as you might a popper. I love the poppers for ponds. I love them for bass, even small poppers for sunfish, and even trout is all a popper. White bass are great on the surface on those poppers if they're schooling. But if I'm going to cover water, a bigger lake for maybe more smallmouth or pike, a lake that has pike, then I like the walking bait. Yeah, and then there's also your plopper-style baits as well that have been coming out over the last couple of years, and that's probably the easiest topwater bait to work. That is a simple cast and retrieve at different rates type bait. So you don't have to worry about hitting it with slack line to walk or through a bubble. It's just a cast and retrieve lure, and you can change the, uh, the frequency of that plop depending upon where you're holding your rod tip. Sometimes they want it up a little bit higher. Sometimes they want a little bit lower. And you can play with that and start to figure out exactly what those fish want. It's a great lure for kids. Cast out along the shoreline and just reel it back. Um, as you mentioned, your white bass and your wipers also love that style of bait. Oh, they do. Another thing I'll do if I'm fishing with two anglers, sometimes you're, you're working small pockets and it's difficult to throw more than one uh, surface lure into that pocket. So I'll have the other angler rigged like something like a tube jig or a plastic worm. And if a fish flashes at that popper and doesn't get a hook in it, a lot of times if you follow with that soft bait, they'll just immediately inhale it. Absolutely great tip. It shows right where those fish are when they do that and they'll miss it. Sometimes you throw that top water bait back on them and they don't eat it, but you throw something different in there. And as you mentioned, they'll hammer it. I do that all the time with Swan off the Chatfield. I'll have a Senko sitting right next to my uh, popper, and you have a good fish miss, throw that Senko in there, and you get them immediately. Yeah, it's really a great tip. So we got about a minute left. If you were going to fish somewhere on the front range today, where would you go quickly? So I'd be thinking about my small pond action. As we mentioned, this top water bite is going to be really good, or you could try some smallmouth out of Chatfield. And if people want more information, how do they find you, Austin? I'm a, I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Terry. You have a great day. You bet. Austin Parr from Discount Fishing Tackle. Great, great young man. He'll really help you with your fishing. You know, you heard us talking earlier that this is the summer peak, and you can catch numbers of walleyes. Well, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. 
But you're going to find out that if you're catching all those walleyes, you're probably not catching the big ones. And our next guest, I think, is going to help tune us in to maybe if we want to focus on some of those big fish, what we might have to do different. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.